0: I can't go on. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 24th of May, 2011. Newcomers should look into the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find hundreds and hundreds of audios for free download, and hopefully you'll find shortcuts to understanding this incredibly big system that overlays governments, is it overarches government, in fact, all governments, and brings bring in a, a kind of world system. Only even then it's only going to be temporary as they bring populations down and so on. We're living through a big, big business plan, far-reaching, and so were your parents and grandparents before you. They didn't know either of what was really going on, and even the, the major wars were all part of this too, of course, because you can find traces of them being planned In the late 1800s against Germany by the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs. So anyway, hip yourself to those particular audios. Remember, too, all the sites listed there have transcripts of a lot of the talks for download and print-up. And you can pass them around to your friends. Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. So if you buy the books and discs that I have for sale at cuttingthroughtheMatrix.com, then hopefully I can squeak along a little bit longer. And things are heating up, as you well know, as the whole world is in a turmoil of change. Change is good, they say, but they don't try what you mean by change. They know what they mean by change. Academia used it for the latter part of the 20th century, the coming century of change. This is when all the big plans that had been long laid would come into fruition and be forced upon the public across the whole globe. You're living through it now. So buy the books and this and so on. From the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order. You can also use PayPal to order. Just uh, use the donation button on the com site and follow it with an email with your name, address and order. And I'll get it out to you. And uh, you can also send cash too, by the way. Across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram. And again, PayPal. Remember, two straight donations are certainly really appreciated. But as I say, we're really like generations before us. We're kept in the dark. You find Francis Bacon at one point gave a, a, a really a, a kind of a resume to the King, to King James, hoping to get a, a better job. And very much like Machiavelli, they wrote resumes basically to show them how wise and cunning they were. And the whole idea was to really govern without the public ever knowing what government was really, really all about and what they were really up to. And that has never, ever changed. It's always been the way of it. Uh, in the past, of course, people used to have enough at one time when their their food was taken from them in the old feudal system and too much food was taken from They'd have the occasional rebellion or uprising. But uh, they found that democracy is much better because you end up voting at the present bunch out to get, hopefully, a better bunch in. And that, therefore, you don't rebel. That's why they gave you democracy. And that's the, mo- the mocking part. That's why they won't mock in there as well, in democracy. We're always being mocked, it seems, because the real world is vastly different, uh, at least the one that's portrayed uh, by the media. But the real world is vastly different from their portrayal. And uh, you're living through, as I say, the greatest changes uh, that's ever been planned and being forced upon peoples across the world. They call it a pragmatic system they're bringing in. That means that all the old kowtowing to the at least the, at least the platitudes they used to give us to being humane and humanity, they're out the window. They're now being very utilitarian and very pragmatic, as they say, to do with all forms of what they call governance, global governance. And they have they're world managers. This is the era of world managers. it 's been here for quite some time, and you find articles published on that. In fact, the era of world managers. you should look into it because they have plans for you back with more after this break. Folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. I can remember years ago, the the Foreign Affairs magazine, which is the exoteric, it's not the esoteric, but exoteric magazine put out by the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, they do give you a lot of truth in it. They'll tell you what they're doing next. Sometimes or are big plans that they have. And they're never wrong as to what they, they're working on and what they want to achieve. They all, you always see that they achieve their goals. And it was many, many years ago they actually talked about running uh, around the American Constitution. It was just, just a, an old fogey that kept standing up, and they had to keep uh, trying to go straight through it and What the guy said, this reporter of the CFR said he said uh, he says instead of attacking it in the old fashioned way, head, head on basically through the court systems and so on and Supreme Court. He said, we'll have to go around it. And that's what they've done. Again, another big superstructure of laws until it's just buried uh, and superseded basically in a sense by all the new ones that they just built like massive spider webs, layer upon layer upon layer of spider webs. And that's the tricks that they use across the world in every country to get around constitutions. And when they're caught at it, of course, they always deny it. And they always come up with conspiracy theory, something which they put out themselves um, to mock people who catch on to what's happening. And I can remember in 2005 on Canadian television, the Council on Foreign Relations came out as its own uh, spokesman, basically. Generally, you'll see Council on Foreign Relations members advising someone, little clips at the bottom of the TV news, but seldom did they ever come out as as a group themselves, speaking on their own behalf. And they did this time, and it was about the, the signing of uh, the uh, part of the integration for the North American Union. Uh, they were all for it. They drafted it up, they said. And I think Mr. Manning was the spokesman for Canada uh, at that time. He used to be um, second in command of Canada uh, next to Martin at one point, I think, in a way. They came out by them on their own and, and said, this has got to be done. And they said it was modeled along the European guidelines and uh, how good it would be for Canada and so on. And so a big trading block that would compete with not only China, but, the, but Europe as well. And once that came out, there was a bit of a murmur amongst Canadians. And it takes a lot to get Canadians murmuring about anything. Uh, but, but they noticed the murmur, and they, they started to quiet it down afterwards. But the agreement was signed, and they said at the time that uh, and it was Bush and Paul Martin and Fox that signed it at that, that time at Waco, I think it was. And they said they, had, uh, uh, they were signing agreements up to 2010, to be complete by 2010. Well they have been signing it every year, it's just they haven't been telling the, the general public what they're signing. And they have a whole bunch of terms, very much like the, see, they use the same techniques because they run the United Nations, but as a U, the United Nations does itself because um, the United Nations, uh, when they were going on about sustainable development and Agenda 21, uh, once the public caught on to what they are up to, they kept changing the names of it. So it's the same with American unions, a whole bunch of different terms they, they use, uh, but uh, all, they all mean union, basically, because that's the whole plan. Anyway, WikiLeaks came out with um, some of this stuff, too. And this article here says WikiLeaks North American Initiative is no theory. It's a document posted online by WikiLeaks reveals there were strategy discussions regarding the adoption of a North American union called the North American Initiative in this case. See, that's how they so many different terms for the same thing uh, at the ambassadorial level in the United States government the concept of a North American Union largely has been ridiculed by many in government and the media. The Wikipedia entry on North American Union calls it a theoretical economic union that has been the subject of various conspiracy theories. That's Wikipedia. And, of course, they run Wikipedia. They try to get something up there that they don't want, and it's pulled off immediately. Anyway, it says, however, um, World Net Daily um, put up a, an expensive or extensive library of reports that documents progress towards the idea. And then when you scroll down, it says the WikiLeaks document, not Wikipedia, but WikiLeaks document was uncovered by investigators with Americans for legal immigration. And the organization reports they appear to confirm an incremental and covert plan within the highest levels of the American and Canadian governments to accomplish deeper North American integration while keeping most average citizens in the dark and bypassing the constitutions of the existing three sovereign nations of America, Canada and Mexico. Alipac spokesman William Gein told one night daily, this is the smoking gun, this is not conjecture, this is a high-ranking member of the U.S. government who created this document. Actually, it was a whole pile of them that worked on this, all from the Council on Foreign Relations, because they admitted on the 2005 TV broadcast that they drafted it up for the, for the, for the leaders to sign. <laughs> a private organization does this for all of you, and they get what they want. This is a document from a secret 2005 U.S. embassy cable from Ottawa, signed by then-ambassador Paul Solucci states, an incremental and pragmatic package of tasks for a new North American initiative will likely gain the most support amongst Canadian policymakers. Our research leads us to conclude that such a package should tackle both security and prosperity goals, and that's how they're trying to sell it to the public. Oh, security, oh, 9-11, oh, and prosperity. Everybody loves that word, prosperity, right? This fits with the recommendations of Canadian economists who have assessed the options for continental integration. While in principle many of them support more ambitious integration goals, like a customs union, single market, and or a single currency, most believe the incremental approach is most appropriate this time, and all agree that it helps pave the way to these goals if and when North Americans choose to pursue them. So that was from the, the, the Ambassador Paul Salucci. In a document released April 28th, Soluchy expounds upon a well-researched and refined plan to mostly replace the existing borders of sovereign nations with some kind of privacy-invading biometric security perimeter, where the borders of the nations will still stand, but information will be exchanged on all citizens in the nations, thus creating a super-state law enforcement effort to manage security, according to ALAPAC. Well, that's happened already. We've had that for a few years. That was announced on Canadian news Uh, maybe two or three years ago, maybe four, uh, that they were exchanging all data of all their citizens with each other already. Alapak's report said the document specifically states that Saluchi and his fellow conspirators fear the U.S. could wake up and secure the borders against contagious diseases and terrorism. He points out that financial interests in Canada fear U.S. attempts to protect citizens from terrorism or pandemics and could interfere with some financial interests in Canada. The document goes on to say, even with zero tariffs, and that was part of the whole deal we mentioned in 2005, they, they both share, the, the three of the countries which share all the incoming tariffs from abroad and poor duties, our land borders have strong commercial effects. Some of these effects are positive, such as law enforcement and data gathering, so our governments may always want to keep some kind of land border in place. The risk that business will be obstructed at the border by discretionary U.S. actions, such as measures to defend against terrorism or infectious disease, in addition to growing congestion, have become major risk to the economy, inhibiting investment in Canada. According to Alipac, Here we have a man who has sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America and the people who pay his exorbitant salary and expenses with their hard-end taxes and is taking the side of financial interests that cannot be bothered by dead Americans killed by Mexican flu pandemics and other diseases rampaging armies of illegal alien marauders or the lethal terrorists amongst them. The organization warned the document is very clear but moving slowly and incrementally and not attempting to arouse public suspicions by making a big move all at once. The exact same technique they use with the European Union folk by the same people, the same organization. And um, this goes on for quite a bit, this article here. I'll put it up at com at the end of the broadcast. But... Uh, it's, it's no it's no simple um, maybe or anything like that. It's actually been inter- integrating for quite some time on many different levels, and the public have been kept in the dark, and that's the intention of it. Uh, and one day you'll wake up, and it'll be just like the European Union. Suddenly you've got a parliament that's all standing for you, and away it goes. And then you've got uh, your own little rompoid character who will be a little dictator, and uh, there you are. Now, it's quite interesting too Another deal that we're doing uh, f- for years um, Worldwide actually But it was set in France Where they all met all the, all the big bureaucrats and politicians from across the world They worked for years to get a deal going Where countries uh, through the World Trade Organization uh, Could come into any country and get deals The deals they wanted coming in Were no restrictions on, on pay for for labor and stuff like that And any country who said, no, you've got to pay a minimum wage and so on, it could be fined millions or billions. And, and the country who is complaining would definitely win. And that has happened too. But we find that, um, this, this idea of outsourcing, as they call it, that outsourcing initially for the America and Canada meant that all your factory, all your factories and, and your work went abroad. Um, it wasn't just telecom and so on and Bell Canada. And all the other services that you use, it was also your factories that moved across the waters. Your tax money, under the agreement that they signed, paid for the factories to move across. It paid their whole expenses and for setting up factories in China, and uh, and also paying any losses incurred that the companies said they would lose uh, during the ten-year period. And actually, they could claim ten years um, for for losses. And then make it another 10 years if they still were making losses, according to them, themselves. And you find this whole thing's going around in a circle because now that everybody else is getting poorer and the dollar's becoming worth diddly squat, uh, you're finding the same companies coming back here uh, to outsource stuff back to us. And it says as economic power shifts to Asia, Idaho's location makes it a prime site for an industrial foothold a Chinese national company. Remember, all the, nation, the national company is the, the People's Liberation Army that owns it all, supposedly, it's this wonderful communist system. Anyway, the Chinese national company is interested in developing 10,000 to 30,000-acre technology zones for industry, retail centers, and homes south of the, the Boise airport, it says. And I'll touch on that when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and just talking about how things go around as now the countries that we're still paying money to, um, to build hospitals and roads and so on through the World Trade Organization, because China is still cl- not classed as a first world country yet, even though they're the biggest income earners, as far as cash going back to them for all the, the produce they sell across the world, we're still paying for to help them up on their feet, so to speak, and uh, it's interesting, now they're... they're they're outsourcing to the U S this is official of the, the China national machinery industrial Corps broached the idea based on a concept popular in China today to city and state leaders. They're also interested in helping build a financial, a finance and a a fertilizer plant near American falls An idea company officials returned to Idaho this month to pursue anyway. So there's China going to bring some work into the U S maybe we'll see who they employ. And, uh, you know, there's also another article here. It's interesting because, <laughs> this is an article from Britain. It says, British workers are lazy and willing to go the extra mile, says Indian billionaire steel chief as he axes one and a half thousand jobs from UK factories. It says, uh, Ratatata, Ratan what one name, eh? Tata criticizes staff at Corus and Jaguar Land Rover and 1,200 jobs to go in Scunthorpe and 300 on Teesside. It says um, the Indian head of an international steel company has branded British workers lazy and willing to go the extra mile a day after his firm announced the axing of 1,500 staff. Businessman Ratan Tata said, they should say to him, Tata, you're not goodbye forever," eh? said. British managers did not compare favourably with their Indian counterparts, blasting at Corus and Jaguar Land Rover, two companies Tata bought in recent years. His comments came after his steel giant firm Tata announced the cutting of one and a half thousand posts from its three UK factories in economically deprived areas of England. The Indian firm said it was proposing to close or mothball part of its Scunthorpe plant, putting at risk another 1,200 jobs, as well as cutting 300 jobs at the site on Teesside. In an interview, Mr. Tata says it's a work ethic issue. In my experience in both Karus and JLR, nobody is willing to go the extra mile. He told The Times that he had found staff unwilling to participate in meetings after 5pm if they'd train trained to catch home, even if he had flown in from India. And he said it was impossible to get hold of workers from either firm at the weekends, starting from 3.30 p.m. on Friday. He added that in India, if you're in a crisis, if it means working it to midnight, you do it. Well, you see, that's the difference between uh, India and um, the civilized countries, you see, because they fought for years and years to get uh, the proper hours of work and time off and all the rest of it, Mr. Tata. So tata to you. Anyway, that's what you got there. And um, and once again, outsourcing again, because everybody's broke now. Here's more jobs coming from India again to Britain from other companies, and uh, and even in the U.S. as well. This is, this is a taste of the future. Outsourcing goes full circle as Indian firms look to the U.S. for cheap labor. So there's China doing it, and now you got India doing it. It's a a frustrating experience. It's a frustration experienced by most people when they've made phone calls to large companies. An unfamiliar voice answers the phone in a call center hundreds of miles away, where cheap labor is commonplace. That's Mr. Tata's land. But in a reversal of fortunes, it now appears that large Indian companies are actually now themselves outsourcing to U.S. shores large corporations that have boomed in India amidst the country's nimble economy. Now, let's explain this nimble economy. You see, when the World Trade Organization decides, and they decide when they're going to bring a country up from third world, uh, massive money from all the countries across the world, the first world countries, is put into it. That means tax money, folks. And they have World uh, Trade Organization meetings. Uh, where, where people are invited to go in and invest, and they tell them where they're, where they're going to build up a country. The UN tells them which countries are going to build up. That means they match them sometimes dollar for dollar for investments. So they can't lose. understand? So these countries are not pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, on the contrary, your tax money from all the countries across the world, their so-called first world, are bumped in there, big cash, uh, to make sure that, that they cannot fail. Anyway, get back to this article here. It says, large corporations of boomed in India amidst the country's nimble economy have been drawn to the U.S. where unemployment has soared. Struggling residents desperate for work are paid between $12 and $14 an hour to be stationed in tiny cubicles for long shifts of telesales work. And it says, once employees are established, many are offered the chance to be flown to India themselves, the same tactic Western countries have done in India. Experts said that the who phenom- who's the experts eh? anyway said that the phenomenon, which could become more widespread in the coming years, is partly due to Indian workers demanding higher wages and higher living standards. That's probably two rupees a, a day. You know, the U.S. became the fastest-growing location for us last year. We expect that to continue this year. Uh, Genpak chief executive V.N. Tiger uh, uh said. Joseph Vaffi, an analyst at Jeffries & Co. in San Francisco, told the Washington Post, what what you have going on in India are salary hikes. As these companies get larger and larger, it just makes sense for them to do some hiring in the States. The Indian economy, boosted by a savings culture of large cash deposits, that's what I was talking about, through the UN, your cash money, and the World Trade Organization and the Overseas Development Corporations as part of your government, has boomed and, and is this year predicted to outpace China. Businesses around the world have targeted India part of the BRIC emerging economies for their global expansion. We're doing the same thing in India and Brazil and a, and a few other countries. All your tax money is making it happen, folks. Because as I say, when someone when your country when, when tax money is going to be back dollar for dollar for investment, you can't fail. Can't fail. Won't happen. Plus, you don't have to pay any pollution taxes for, like, 20 years, burn anything you want, stuff like that. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix just talking about all this outsourcing and re-outsourcing and full circle outsourcing stuff as they build countries up using your tax cash through the United Nations, World Trade Organization and a whole bunch of uh, corporations uh, that are attached to your government since World War II under the UN where they use your money to invest in so-called third world countries and bring them up to a first world status as you plummet of course and they get no penalties laid upon them for for work ethics or, uh, the, or how they treat their employees, etc. That's the, the wonderful system we're in now. And we're talking about India now outsourcing, and it says here around 9% of work, uh, the workforce is now estimated to be unemployed in the U.S. Massive debts have also seen harsh spending cuts. Indian companies had previously used call centers at home or shipped large numbers of local workers to the U.S. to work cheaply, and they're allowed to do that. You see, you know, uh, it's quite amazing. See, under the, the World Trade Organization at the United Nations, and under the NAFTA agreement for North America, and under the European one too, it says there that, that there's to be no restrictions on the free um, movement of goods and labor. And labor, you see. So they can bring in their own people and, and pay them cheaply in your country, that kind of stuff like that. This is but a crackdown on visas by the government combined with optimism in India has meant that fewer people want to leave. For Indian companies, it's just as efficient to open offices in America where there are daily queues of people willing to work there 's also a growing trend that companies want to have workers based in the countries where organizations have large customer bases or wish to expand into it 's interesting too on the, on the same page here it 's got who outsources the most jobs to the u s well that, that character I was mentioning previously, you know like the man who made his money by by working hard and, and, and uh, being thrifty, Mr. Tata you know, and born in the right caste system is uh, the guy and' been an awful nice character obviously. Um it says Tata Consultancy Services based in Mumbai and had a turnover of eight billion dollars in twenty eleven. They employ more than two hundred thousand worldwide, with a significant number of those believed to be around fifteen thousand based as outsourced jobs in the US. He's one of these guys who put his own people and treat them like slave and move slaves and move them all over the world. This is how it's done under this new wonderful system. Where the hard working and thrifty get ahead, you know? That kind of nonsense. Interesting, too, as we're all going down the tubes, uh, that the UK is now sending helicopters to Libya. And, of course, they're way over whatever budget they're talking about, too, uh, to for, for new warfare, gizmos and gadgets, stuff that, that kills folk. Anyway, it says Britain and France are to deploy attack helicopters in Libya in an effort to break the stalemate in the conflict, France's defence minister has said. There was no immediate confirmation of Gerald uh, Longuet's claim from the Minister of Defence, but a spokesman said that all options are being looked at. Any use of attack helicopters, such as the REFs Apaches, which can hit small targets in built-up areas, such as besieged uh, city Misrata, M- M- would represent a significant stepping up of international military operations. So there, there they go again, as we're all going down the tubes. Uh, they've got to make sure, and it's nothing you do remember. You understand that people who rule all of these countries I'm mentioning uh, don't care about the countries themselves. They're internationalists. that have been run by internationalists for a long time. They belong to a very exclusive club. And they have their big world plan, and all this bombing across the Middle East and so on is all part of the agenda to standardize the world into their one system that they will own and control and rule over. And it's as simple as that. Meanwhile, they'll, they'll use patriotism when it suits them and get flags waving. And once the, the little wars are over, you'll hear nothing but, we're global now, we're global now, all over the news. <laughs> Back and forth like a yo-yo. I've watched this for years. It's so amazing. It always works, too. Our thing we've got, too, and you've had this for many, many years, and it was mentioned, in fact, in the American ruling class, the little well kind little of spoof they put out there, where they actually tell you a lot of truths about themselves and the Council on Foreign Relations, where they say, if you want to get ahead in America, you must become a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, where you can at least rub shoulders with the ruling elite, the dominant minority. But um, in in that actual video, they tell you, in fact, that you've got to start off in public service or else in one of the big corporations, the banking corporations, preferably, and sometimes ping-pong back between governments and banking to, to get up there, to be accepted by them. And this article I'm about to read now is from Britain again. Corruption risk of ex-ministers walking straight into top jobs, warns damning report. That's what they do, you see. You go into government, you meet all the lobbyists, and you make deals for them, and then you walk out and you get a golden handshake from the lobbyists for passing laws that help them, and then they give you a lucrative job with themselves. It says, weak rules policing the way former ministers take up lucrative jobs in the private sector put Britain at high risk of corruption. That's, that's about 100 years, 200 years too late, anyway. A damning report warned yesterday, the study criticised the cosy system that's supposed to monitor the so-called revolving door between government and big business. It claims the rules which have allowed a string of lucrative jobs for former ministers, as politicians such as Tony Blair and Peter Mandelson, to be simply rubber-stamped are so lax that they undermine trust in government. I didn't think there was any trust left. In addition, it shows that more than half of all leading civil servants now take up well-paid jobs in the private sector after leaving Whitehall, because he lobbied too, by the way. He did an awful lot of stuff you never ever hear of. The report on, uh, by the respected campaign group Transparency International warns that only a, a lifetime ban on lobbying might be enough to ease public concerns about the way ministers and officials in high-risk areas such as defence and health move seamlessly into top jobs. I think it would tell an awful lot more than that, and that will never happen anyway. And it says... Uh, Charashkar Krishnan of Transparency International said, The revolving door between government and business is spinning out of control. There have been, uh, been far too many cases of officials moving between the two in circumstances, which suggest a serious conflict of interest. This has created an environment in which corruption risks are high. It's exactly the same across the world. And the same in the U.S. too, I mean, the Food and Drug Administration is made up basically of guys that that just left Monsanto and stuff like that. And then they go back to Monsanto. One woman, in fact, that was ahead of it at one point, had been back and forth five times between Monsanto and then back into the Food and Drug Administration. (laughs) Ha, not bad deal, eh? And it says, we need a more robust system with greater transparency and tighter rules, which can be properly enforced. Oh, Good luck. The study highlights a string of cases where former ministers and civil servants have taken jobs in industries they were previously in charge of, and that means they were heavily lobbied. You see, and that's why they end up uh, getting awfully rich when, when they leave, they get a whole bunch of jobs on, on, on the boards of directors of companies, and they don't even have to attend. Just. Cash rules in. It says there's a real risk that a senior official or minister might favour a company with a view to ingratiating himself or herself with that company and thus opening up a path to future employment. Well, it's always been like that. Always been like that. It says camps for a hire. Former Transport Secretary Stephen Byers, former Health Secretary Patricia Hewitt and former Defence Secretary GF Hoon were suspended from the Parliament Labour Party for bringing it into disrepute for the same kind of stuff. The findings were welcomed last night by Labour MP Paul Flynn, a member of the Commons Public Administration Committee. He said the systems of policing and revolving doors are a scandal that is potentially worse than the expenses scandal, by God, that was a scandal too, and certainly more damaging to the country. Under the existing rules, ministers and top civil servants have to notify the Advisory Committee on Business Appointments of any new jobs taken up within two years of leaving office. Well, if they're wise, they'll just do it two years in a day. And, you know. and that's how the lawyers do things, isn't it? So, corruption's the norm, and it's been like that for an awful long time, because we live in a monetary system, and money uh, always corrupts, and uh, those who are the most corrupted run after the, the most money. That's why they get to the top, the psychopathic types. And they're called successful, as I say, for being awfully thrifty and hardworking, and reality is because they're, they're utterly ruthless, uh, getting up to the top and there's nothing too low for them to stoop to that they won't do to benefit themselves nothing nothing at all nothing zilch and then in this wonderful new world order too in the activist post it says 10 ways we've been tracked traced and data and uh, it says here the war on terror is a worldwide endeavor that has spurred massive investment into the global surveillance industry. I remember in the 80s reading uh, that as the world became more globalized and basically all one, if you like, and this is major media, it said that the major war industries would have to turn to some kind of surveillance system at home in order to keep the profits up, well, exactly what they've done with the war on terror. Anyway, it says... Um, uh, the, it says uh, the global surveillance, is, which now seems to be coming a war on liberty and privacy. Given all of the new monitoring technology being implemented, the uproar over warrantless wiretaps now seems moot. High tech first world countries are being tracked, traced and databased literally around every corner. Governments, 80 by private companies are gathering a mountain of information average citizens who so far uh, seem willing to trade liberty for supposed security. You understand if, you, if you've no freedom, you have no security. Here's some of the ways the matrix of data is being collected. This is global positioning. Chips are now appearing in everything from US passports, cell phones to cars. More common uses include tracking employees and for all forms of private investigation, Apple recently announced they're collecting the precise location of iPhone users via GPS for public viewing in addition to spying on users in other ways. The internet Internet browsers are recording every move, forming detailed uh, cookies on your activities. The NSA has been exposed as having cookies on their site that don't expire until 2035. We a steal by then, eh? Major search engines know where you have surfed last summer. And online purchases are database supposedly for advertising and customer service use. IP addresses are collected and even made public. Controversial websites can be flagged and internally by government sites as well as rerouting all traffic to block sites the government wants to censor. It has now been fully admitted that social networks provide no privacy to users while technologies for real-time social network monitoring are already being used. The Cybersecurity Act attempts to legalize the collection and exploitation of your personal information. Apple's iPhone also has browsing data recorded and stored. All of this despite the overwhelming opposition to cyber cyber surveillance by citizens. Well, you don't count, do you? Forget your credit cards, which are miraculously tracked, or the membership cards for things so insignificant as movie rentals, which require your SSN. Everyone has uh, uh, Costco, CVS grocery chain cards, and a wallet or purse full of many more. I don't... RFID proximity cards uh, take tracking to a new level in uses, ranging from loyalty cards, student ID, physical access, and computer network access. Latest developments include an RFID powder developed by Hitachi, for which the multitude of uses are endless, perhaps including tracking hard currency so we can't even keep cash undetected. Well, that's the point of it all. Traffic cameras, of course, license plate recognition, and so on. And of course, they're even going to put uh, the boxes they're using in Europe and all American cars too. You probably pay for yourself if it's an older car, if it's not brand new, where they can GPS track you all the time. Computer cameras and microphones. uh, The fact that laptops uh, contributed by taxpayers. Um, it says spy on public school children at home is outrageous. Years ago, Google began officially to use computer audio audio fingerprinting for advertising users. They've admitted to working with the NSA. Well, you see, everything is uh, outsourced from the NSA. All these corporations that you, you're using in browsers, and all, it's all NSA. It's one big happy spider web, one big family. That's all it is. Since public sound surveillance technology has come a long way from being able to detect gunshots in public areas to now listening in whispers for dangerous keywords. This technology has been launched in Europe to monitor conversations to detect verbal aggression in public places. Sound intelligence is the manufacturer... Uh, of technology to analyze speech and their website touts how it can easily be integrated into other systems and it's true too in Britain, that if you stand in a doorway and have a chat with someone those cameras can also, with these massive boom microphones have got very powerful, I hear everything that you whisper Biometrics, the most popular biometric authentication scheme employed for the last few years has been iris recognition the main applications are entry control, ATMs and government programs Recently network companies and the governments have utilized biometric authentication, including fingerprint analysis, iris recognition, voice recognition, or combinations of these for use in national identification cards. DNA, blood from babies, has been taken for all people under the age of 38. In England, DNA was sent to secret databases for routine heel prick tests. Several reports have revealed covert Pentagon databases of DNA for terrorists, and now DNA from all American citizens is databased. Why do you think that is? They were doing that way before. Well, actually, in in conjunction with the the Human Genome Project. Because, you see, eugenics is a big part of this. At least you'll find that it will be down the road. (laughs) You will you will be actually notified according to your status on the chart. Microchips, uh, uh, Microsoft's Health Vault and VeriMed partnership is to create RFID implantable microchips. Microchips for tracking our precise pets is becoming commonplace and serves to condition us to accept putting them in our children in the future. The FDA has already approved this technology for humans and is marking it as a medical miracle, again, for our safety. And then facial recognition, anonymity in public uh, in public is over. It's been over for years, actually. Years and years and years. Admittedly used at Obama's campaign events, sporting events, and most recently at the G- G20 protests in Canada, this technology is also harvesting data from Facebook images and surely will be tied uh, into the street's traffic cameras. That's already done. All of this is leading to predictive behavior technology. Well, as I've said before, you cannot have total tyranny, you see, without everyone being totally predictable. To be predictable, you must have all your ongoing data in real time as you upload it to all over the, the world. And all your fake friends, your sock, pocket, sock puppet friends, you call them. Anyway, um, it's just an, an amazing. And it, then it goes on to talk about how you're being fleeced by the banks, 10 ways you're being fleeced by the banks. Uh, That's a good one to read as well. Quite interesting. But we all know what they're up to. We're part of your community. Our bank is part of your community. Costco is part of your community. Your local burger place is part of your community. (laughs) It's amazing how it works, isn't it? It's amazing how it works on the public. And uh, sometimes you've got to understand that um, they, they have you down pat, down pat. Thousands robbed of pensions, nest egg workers misled into giving up gold-plated schemes. Britain is on the brink of a pensions mis-selling scandal, with thousands of workers robbed of their nest egg, experts warned yesterday. Everything's experts now, eh? Pensioners Minister Steve Webb said workers were being bribed into leaving their generous pension schemes for a cheaper alternative. He fears many workers are being cruelly misled into switching out of their gold-plated pension with a lure of cash bribes. It's also fear, too. Oh, you'll lose the job and so on, and you won't get the pension. Uh, One pension expert told the mail that the workers were being shafted. Uh, And it says, um, be wary, pensions minister Steve Webb said incentivized transfer gave workers a lump sum but lost them huge amounts of money in the long run. What a wonderful world with all these innocent and decent and honest collar and tie guys at the top running our lives, isn't it? It's so good to us. Back with more after this. Hi, folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, just to end off tonight. Uh, it's interesting to, to again, talk about the caste system. That's why Britain gets on so well with India. That it's almost identical systems of a caste system, really. You have the untouchables at the bottom, and you have the high Brahmins at the top. And... And, of course, that the Brahmins inter, interbreed, etc., and everyone must stay in their own category. This article here is about, about uh, how British royalty, not just British, of course, all the royalties across Europe, they run all at one time, British royalty dined on human flesh, but don't worry, it was 300 years ago. That's all right, and I feel better. It says they've long been famed for the love of lavish banquets and rich recipes, but what's less well known is that the British royals also had a taste for human flesh. I guess that's when the king uh, f- actually t- said, uh, I-, I feel like a bit pheasant tonight. And, and the master sergeant, of course, being deaf with all those cannons and stuff, says, I think he wants a, a peasant. You know? And that's probably what started it off. A new book on medicinal cannibalism was revealed that possibly as recently as the end of the 18th century, British royalty swallowed parts of the human body. The author adds that this was not a, pra- a, a practice reserved for monarchs, but was widespread amongst the well-to-do in Europe. As even as they denounced the barbaric cannibals of the New World, they applied, drank, or wore powdered Egyptian mummy, human fat, flesh, bone, blood, brains, and skin. And that's what they wore, just to make themselves look I don't know what they wanted to look like. Moss taken from the skull of the uh, skulls of dead soldiers was even used as a cure for nosebleeds, according to Doctor Richard Sugg at Durham University. Doctor Sugg said the human body has been widely used as therapeutic agents, with the most popular treatments involving flesh, bone or blood. It says, um, cannibalism was found not only in the New World, as often believed, but also in Europe. One thing we're rarely taught at school, yet it is evidenced in literally and historic texts of its time, is this. Uh, it says this, uh, James I refused uh, corpse medicine. Charles II made his own corpse medicine, and Charles I was made into corpse medicine. Along with Charles II, eminent users or prescribers included Francis I, Elizabeth I surgeon, John Bannister, Elizabeth Gray, Countess of Kent, Robert Boyle, Thomas Willis, William III, and Queen Mary. And it says, uh, the history of medicinal cannibalism, Dr. Sugg argues, raised a number of important social questions. He said, medicinal cannibalism used the formidable weight of European science, publishing, trade, networks, and educated theory. That was the science of the time, no different than the day in pharmacology. It's just the same you know, big money behind it. It must be true, they'll say it. And it says, well, corpse medicine has sometimes been presented as a medieval therapy. It was at its height during the social and scientific revolutions of early modern Britain. The Rothschilds actually imported cor- um, it was mummies from all over Egypt, thousands of them. And they put into these mixtures for all kinds of stuff, with a bit of opium added, you know, so it definitely did something for you. And, uh, and they also sold it to farmers and who would plow them into their fields to give them that magic growing quality. Anyway, it survived well into the eighteenth century and amongst the poor it lingered stubbornly on into the time of Queen Victoria. Quite apart from the question of cannibalism, the sourcing of body parts now looks highly unethical to us. In the heyday of medicinal cannibalism, bodies or bones were routinely taken from Egyptian tombs and European graveyards. Not only that, but some way into the 18th century, one of the biggest imports from Ireland into Britain was human skulls. That was for all Masonic lodges across across England. Where not all this was worse than the modern black market in human organs is difficult to say, they say. So there you go. There you go, eh? I just chose you. They've always been bloodsuckers. Anyway, from Heshmus Yatmontier, Canada, is good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.